the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Kerry, can, can you just go ahead and, and give us kind of introduction to, to who you are? Yeah, sure. My name is Kerry Langridge. I am the in-situ conservation manager for Saving Wildcats. And Saving Wildcats is a European partnership project that's dedicated to Scottish wildcat conservation and recovery. And we aim to prevent the extinction of wildcats in Scotland by breeding and releasing them into the wild. Uh, Saving Wildcats is led by the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland uh, in collaboration with Nature Scott, Forestry and Land Scotland and the Cairngorms National Park Authority. And we are supported by the EU Life Programme. Thanks very much for, for, for being on the podcast. Um, thanks for taking the, the time to, to sit down and talk to us. We really appreciate that. Kerry, how are things um, on your end as far as coronavirus goes? Are you, you keeping safe? Are you, do you have an, uh, the ability to, to work? Um, what, what's work like for you right now? Um, yeah, it's certainly made things uh, more challenging than they were. And this was a fairly challenging project to begin with. Um, so we have had quite big delays to the project because of COVID. Um, I started in August this year, uh, which was a, a good f- a good few months later than planned. Um, but we have we are managing to carry on because we're based in the Highlands, um, where the the prevalence of the virus is lower at the moment. We're managing to to work. Um, you know, with social distancing and we're, we're mainly working from home. Um, but I managed to go into the wildlife park occasionally and do some, some field work in there. Um, so we are, we are, we are managing. Um, but yes, it would certainly, it would have been a probably, you know, certainly a more fun start to the job if you can actually start the job and meet your colleagues, uh, face to face. Um, we've been doing a lot of virtual meetings. Um, so, uh, but, but we're managing. Yeah. Good, good. And the, the organisation itself, Saving Wildcats, it, it's maybe a bit obvious, but but what what is the, the, the purpose of the organisation and, and what kind of projects are you currently involved in? Uh, so Saving Wildcats uh, is uh, the name of a new partnership project that's dedicated to Scottish wildcat conservation and recovery. Um, so it's a, it's a partnership project. It's led by the Royal Zoological Society of Scotland uh, with several other, several other uh, UK partners, um, Nature Scott, uh, Forestry and Land Scotland, and Cairngorms National Park Authority, and a couple of international partners, uh, Norden's Ark in Sweden and Junta de Andalusia in Spain. So Saving Wildcats is following on from uh, previous years of of wildcat conservation uh, in Scotland. Um, And this particular project is really about breeding and releasing wildcats back into the wild. So it's it's a a reinforcement um, and a local reintroduction project. So Kerry, the the Scottish wildcat, um, obviously an incredibly uh, rare sight um, in the countryside, how would you go about um, differentiating it from a from a domestic cat? And can you describe some of the the characteristics of it for for the listeners? Yeah, so um, a Scottish wildcat is the same species as a European wildcat, and it is a different species from the domestic cat. Um, so they they share a common ancestor. They're obviously closely related, but they're, they diverged about 200,000 years ago. So all of our domestic cats are descended from Felis libica, which is a North African wildcat. And the European wildcat is more of a forest cat. So they are, they are a separate species. Uh, and the European wildcat is known for having the bushy tail, the bushy ringed tail with the black tip. And it really is, it's much fatter than the tail of a domestic cat. Um, the European wildcat also has a, a sort of brown, tawny color coat, which has vertical stripes, uh, which are usually fairly faint, but in the Scottish wildcat are sometimes a bit darker. Um, and there's there's a couple of other um, 
identifying features about the pelage as well. So the pelage is the, the coat, uh, the pattern on the cat. Um, they have a black line that runs down the back and ends at the base of the tail. And uh, they usually don't have any spots. That's more a domestic cat trait. Um, and they only ever this tabby, tawny color. You don't get any other color of uh, European wildcat. Although there have been reports of black wildcats in the past, um, or Kellis cats. But we think that the black probably uh, originates from hybridization or crossbreeding with domestic cats. Uh, and I know that we're, we're going to get to hybridization um, a little bit later on in the conversation. But can you can you lay out what has led to the to the reduction in Scottish wildcat numbers, um, kind of historically and and in a more contemporary sense? Yeah. So the the Scottish wildcat obviously used to be uh, the British wildcat. Uh, used to live all over uh, England, all over mainland Britain, England, Wales, and Scotland. Um, it was extinct from England and Wales by the end of the 18th 1800s. So the end of the 19th century. And the causes of the extinction are essentially the same causes of extinction for most species. So it's habitat loss, um, and the main habitat for wildcat is deciduous forest, um, and uh, persecution and hunting. Um, so those two pressures together re uh, resulted in extinction of, of cats from most of mainland Britain um, by 1900. Um, the southern Scotland as well. So in the south of Scotland, most cats' uh, populations were extinct by the late 1880s. Um, and that was mostly due to, to human persecution um, from the game shooting industry. So when the Victorians uh, built the railways up to Scotland and all the, the rich people would come in and shoot grouse, um, as part of the establishment and management of these grouse moors, uh, there was very, very intensive predator control. So a lot of predator species were eradicated at that time and wildcats were driven to extinction across most of the range. And a small population remained in the very northwest of Scotland where the persecution pressure was a lot lower. And then when all the, uh, when all the, the men went off to fight in the First World War, a lot of the game shooting estates closed and the population had some respite from the persecution and they were able to recover some of the former range. And that coincided with the, the advent of the Forestry Commission, uh, which were replanting uh, huge areas of Northern Scotland. Um, and these uh, coniferous forests, when they're first planted, were very good habitat for voles. So there was lots of food for cats at that time and less persecution. So the populations recovered uh, through the 30s and 40s and through the 50s, but then persecution pressure um, became very high again after the, the 50s. Um, and again, it's related to, uh, to management of the land for game and predator control. It's also related to the loss of uh, one of their main prey sources, which in Northern Scotland is rabbits. So rabbits have been very, very important for wildcats in the north of Scotland um, because the north of Scotland doesn't have a lot of their traditional habitat, which is common across continental Europe. So big broadleaf deciduous woodlands where you get very good small mammal populations, uh, very good populations of voles and mice. So they've been a lot more dependent on rabbits in northern Scotland, quite similar to the Mediterranean where rabbits are native. So when we had a, a myxomatosis of rabbits in the 1950s, rabbit populations crashed across, across northern Scotland. And we think that uh, disease, repeated outbreaks of disease in rabbit populations, including in the 80s, that has come together with intensive persecution, continued habitat loss, and we've just lost more and more populations of wildcats until we're at the point that we're at now, which is very, very few cats remaining. And um, we, we, you mentioned hybridization there. Maybe we should just cover it now. W what is the, the, the problem with hybridization? And, and is that the, the kind of the, the, the key threat to, to wild populations at this time? Yeah, so hybridization is, is a, a very interesting um, uh, sort of problem for wildcats. Um, 
We know that it's been very intensive, probably at least since about the 80s, um, and possibly since the 50s, it's happened at, at lower levels. Um, so hybridization is essentially the interbreeding of wildcats with domestic cats. Um, and because they're fairly closely related, they can interbreed and have fertile offspring. So those offspring are then able to breed again with wildcats or with domestic cats. So you get gene transfer from between the two species, which is known as introgression, which is sort of the worst form of hybridization. Um, because what happens is you, you get genetic dilution of the species, of the rarer species. So for in our case, that has obviously been wildcats, uh, which are vastly outnumbered by domestic cats. So hybridization is a cause of the extinction because the hybridization rate in our wildcat population is very, very high. It's actually so high um, that it's no longer, we don't have a distinct wildcat versus domestic cat. We have a, a whole continuum of hybridization from one species to the other. And we have far more cats at the, the lower end of the wildcat spectrum. So most of them have very significant domestic cat ancestry. And hybridization is really the result of the other causes of wildcat extinction. So the massive population decline that's caused by persecution and habitat loss and loss of prey, um, coupled with wildcats being forced to exploit much more human-dominated landscapes. So they're coming into contact with domestic cats far more often, and there's far fewer wildcats to actually breed with. So the hybridization has been a problem for at least 20 to 30 years, and it's, it's now seen as one of the most significant threats to the wildcats that remain because they're very hybridized. So without the introduction of more wild cats uh, with a much higher uh, wildcat genetic component, we'll eventually see the genetic extinction of wildcats in Scotland. And what, what is the prevalence of wildcats in continental Europe like? Are, are they fairly numerous? Well, they, so they, they suffered the same... Uh, kind of extinction pressures across most of the range, um, the same as they did in Scotland. Um, persecution and habitat loss were big problems for wildcat populations uh, throughout the, the 18th century, uh, 19th century. Um, but in some countries now, they have recovered and they're recovering well, um, particularly Germany uh, and in France. There's, there's very good wildcat populations and Eastern, uh, Eastern Europe as well, uh, because they have very big uh, areas of forest. So in, in a lot of these countries, wildcat populations are increasing and recovering. Um, but there's still significant conservation concerns in other countries as well. So in Switzerland, um, where wildcats are recolonizing, uh, they were extinct formerly in Scotland, in Switzerland, but they, they are recolonizing now. But the hybridization rate is quite high in areas where they're starting to recolonize human-dominated landscapes. Um, and in the Mediterranean countries, uh, in Portugal, for example, they're finding that the hybridization rate is increasing and the populations are declining. So they're almost headed towards a similar situation um, as we are currently in in Scotland. Are there any locations around Scotland where, where we know that there are um, kind of strong, healthy populations or, or any particular area that's kind of a, a conservation um, safe point for them, if, if you like? Well, in the, so the, the project that was prior to saving wildcats was called Scottish Wildcat Action. Um, and that was a, a five-year project uh, that the objective of that project was to try and prevent the extinction of wildcats in the wild. And we worked in six priority areas, and those areas were chosen because they still had uh, good wildcat populations in them, or at least we thought they might do based on the evidence that we had um, beforehand, before those sites were chosen. Um, the five years of research found that the populations are no longer viable. So at the end of Scottish Wildcat Action, so we did extensive surveys with camera traps uh, in all of these areas and conservation action in terms of working with, with landowners and land managers 
um, and neutering, trapping and neutering uh, feral domestic cats. Um, and we, we surveyed these sites uh, over the, the five years and we gave all of our data uh, to um, an independent uh, specialist group, uh, which was the uh, cat specialist group from the IUCN, uh, the International Union for the, on the Conservation of Nature. Um, and they reviewed all of the evidence and they published a report at the end of Scottish Wildcat Action that finally concluded that the populations were now not viable. So the meaning of not viable is that there are still some individuals left which are relatively good wildcats. They're what we, we will call wildcats because they have the overwhelming majority of, of their genetic information is, is wildcat. Um, there are individuals left in Scotland uh, that are wildcats, but they are so few in number and so dispersed over the landscape that it's not a viable population any longer. It's, it's really just a matter of a few individuals. And there are some areas where they have survived better. So Aberdeenshire tends to have a better number of those cats. Um, and also in the Angus Glens, there are quite a few better scoring hybrids, better wildcats. And that's possibly because in those areas, we still have quite good rabbit populations. So that might have something to do with it. So obviously, um, in this podcast series, we like to, to discuss all uh, manner of issues relating to the farmed upland environment. Um, what steps would you like to see landowners and, and farmers and crofters take to, uh, to really help out the, the Scottish wildcat um, if and when we actually get to that, to that point? Yeah, um, well, I think the farming community can potentially do a lot um, to help wildcats and wildcat conservation. So the agricultural landscape has always been a really important one for wildcats because it provides a lot of what wildcats need. So it provides cover and prey. And for wildcats, prey is primarily small mammals. So rabbits and voles and mice. So there's a lot that the farming community community can do to support wildcats. I mean, any any habitat improvements that create better habitat for voles um, are going to be very beneficial. So kind of diverse, wide field margins, um, the, the kind of traditional agricultural practices um, like hay fields that used to be very good for voles. Um, crops like rapeseed and barley are very good for small mammals. Rough pasture is good for small mammals and voles, and that's important feeding habitat for cats. Um, and rabbits as well. There's, I think people definitely underestimate how beneficial rabbits can be um, for some of our predator species. And having rabbits, you know, it prevents predators eating other species like um, game birds or you know, somebody's chickens. Um, and rabbits are really under threat everywhere in the north of Scotland. Um, and some of the ways that they're controlled, one of the common ways to control rabbits is is gassing of, of uh, rabbit warrants. And, you know, that's, that's quite an indiscriminate practice. And especially a lot of protected species use rabbit warrants um, for den sites, including cats. So any practices that are that are able to encourage rabbits um, and allow them some areas of land, you know, to remain. Um, but really anything, anything in the habitat that can encourage cover for wildcats um, and prey. And, and gorse and scrub is also a really important cover habitat for cats. Um, south facing slopes that are covered in gorse, wildcats use those, I mean, literally all day long for resting sites. Um, and for natal dens for kittens. Um, stone walls and dikes are really important uh, habitat features for cats. Um, and also farms, just more generally, in terms of things like uh, barns. You know, we used to hear lots of stories from farmers about disturbing wildcats when they'd go into the barn and they'd move hay bales around and a cat would come jumping out and scare the life out of them. And Cats and wildcats um, do use hay barns in the winter 
um, to sleep in. And so we can help provide them with some of these kind of artificial resources in a way, but things that are really helpful for cats. And of course, barns and food stores will provide cats with sources of food in terms of mice and rats. Um, Wildcats can be very useful uh, in helping control rodent populations and rabbit populations. so yes, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of ways that uh, that the farming community could to certainly help uh, help with cats uh, and wildcat reinforcement and reintroductions. Interesting that that you bring that up. Um, this year, as part of the the farm advisory service, we have been doing a series on um, beneficial insects uh, for integrated pest management, uh, particularly on arable farms, but but across uh, across the landscape. I'm hearing kind of the same argument from yourself that, you know, we don't necessarily need to be, you used the example of gassing rabbits. You know, if we were to leave the rabbits there, potentially something like the Scottish wildcat would predate on them and and naturally control them. Would that be a kind of fair summary? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, we know that during the the sort of decades where predator control was very high um, and rabbit populations sort of exploded across the north of Scotland before we had uh, significant outbreaks of disease like Mixie, cats were able to exist at very high population densities. Um, And it was just because they had these big populations of rabbits to live off. Um, And rabbits can be really, really crucial um, for cats in Northern Scotland. And we, we're really never going to see the same kind of outbreaks of rabbits that, that used to happen here because the levels of disease are really keeping them suppressed now at quite low levels. Um, but just these small pockets of rabbits, um, wildcats would, you know, they would take at least three or four rabbits a day, each each adult wildcat. Um, so, yeah, if, if we're able to find a way of, of managing habitats that, that's beneficial to people um, and to cats. And they, they do this in Portugal. Um, they encourage rabbits in Portugal because they're, they're an important game species. Um, so the farmers, they, they farm the land in a way that allows uh, farming and pockets of rabbits to, to sort of coexist. So we, we probably have some lessons that we could learn um, from other countries that, that are doing things like this already in terms of um, farming on a scale that that can be supportive of rabbit populations e- and is ecologically relevant to the, the kind of biology and ecology of rabbits, but they, the rabbit populations don't get out of control in a way that starts to be detrimental to people. Um, and it allows predators to exist, to coexist with people um, and to have a natural prey resource so that they don't have to you know resort to any other unpreferred prey resources like trying to take a chicken or something like that and what about um raptors and and predatory birds um you know farmers uh, would be quite appreciative um were their numbers to to decline because of the scottish wildcat is that something that they would go for um, no, I wouldn't think so. I mean, uh, again, it's sort of, you know, if you if they have prey, prey sources, uh, natural prey resources, then then birds of prey, you know, will will prey on rabbits, too. Um, so it, they will also, you know, they'll be an important prey resource for all predators and, and all, you know, mm-hmm. birds of prey species certainly suffered when we lost rabbit populations. Um, but wildcats are very much. Uh, mammal specialists. They, they, their preferred food almost universally is voles, um, unless there's rabbits, and then they tend to go for rabbits. Um, but, but the vast majority of the cat's diet is always going to be voles, um, and they, they don't really present much of a threat to any other species. You, um, you touched on some of the, the beneficial habitats for, for these species. Um, thinking about wildcats specifically, have you had much involvement in the Agri-Environment Climate Scheme 
Um, have you been very involved in, in farms in the high ons um, creating new habitat? No, not 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 so far. Um, but I think going forward, I mean, we're quite an, at quite an early stage still with this project. Um, we're still at the stage where we're sort of evaluating the potential release site for suitability for cats. Um, but certainly going forward as part of the, the future of this project, um, that's exactly the sort of thing that I think we would like to be involved with. And we've, we've learned a lot. Um, and wildcats are very difficult species to study, especially in Scotland, because there's so few and because they're quite hybridized. But we've done a lot of research over the last five or 10 years, including lots of GPS tracking research um, done by Kerry Kilshaw um, at Wild Crew. Um, in Oxford, and they have really, you know, shone a light on some of the habitat requirements of wildcats. So we know a lot more now um, than we did five years ago about the kind of habitats they need and the kind of habitat management that would be positive for cats. So it's something we're, we're sort of actively uh, looking into at the moment. And I think going forward, that's the sort of thing we really would like to be involved in in developing some recommendations for. Interesting that you mentioned deciduous woodland um, earlier on. I have previously worked with with landowners and, and estates um, in the highlands, um, and you know a handful of them will have been monitoring for um, for, for Scottish wildcat, but typically it was on on their moorland. Is there a bit of a misconception there as to the habitat that these wildcat will use? Or, you know, can they be quite versatile in terms of habitat? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And it's one that, again, we, we're only learning recently, I think. I mean, for the, the wildcat generally, uh, the name Felis sylvestris, um, so sylvestris obviously relating to forestry, and they are, they are forest cats across the vast majority of their range. Deciduous broadleaf woodland is the preferred habitat, uh, depending on whatever else is available. If they've got deciduous broadleaf woodland, generally beech woodland on the continent, that is where they will be. Um, but then you have uh, the Mediterranean, and in the Mediterranean, they tend to be also associated with deciduous woodland, with oak woodland, but they also now tend to be a bit more uh, found in scrub habitat, in juniper, um, and gorse and in some of the grassland and the agricultural landscape. Um, and it, it's similar in Scotland. So they certainly are associated uh, with woodland, but we don't have a huge amount of, certainly of deciduous woodland habitat in Scotland. Um, and they certainly in the past have been more associated uh, with sort of scrub habitat, with gorse, juniper, um, birch woodland and also with some of these conifer plantations so especially clear fell because you get high um, vole populations uh, in clear fell habitat and they're also strongly associated with edge habitat so edges of woodland and forest where they meet grassland so it again comes down to this kind of cover and prey kind of idea so they they need the cover of a forest or a thick, dense scrub habitat. Um, but they also need a, a hunting habitat, which usually tends to be a couple of hundred meters either side of a, of a forest or a scrub habitat. In terms of moorland, they're certainly not um, predominantly a moorland species. Um, although, you know, lots of photos of cats often typically show them in heather, um, it's not, certainly not a preferred habitat. Although some of the GPS tracking work has shown that very occasionally some of the cats do uh, use heather moorland habitat. And that tended to be very unmanaged heather moorland. Um, and they, they may have been hunting hares and possibly voles. Um, again, it's quite, it's quite recent information, so we're, we don't really know yet what benefit they were getting from from that heather moorland habitat but by mm. and large they're very much animals that that like forested scrub woodland habitat and generally not not moorland species and you mentioned using edge habitat there 
is there an issue or or is there a conflict even with uh, with with the Scottish game industry um or thinking more specifically about other priority species within Scotland um things like your your ground nesting wading birds um twite uh, black grouse uh, are they concern are, are there concerns there management concerns that we should be taking into consideration so as as part of this reintroduction um we'll certainly so before cats are released we'll be doing a lot of survey work and then the cats will be monitored and everything will be very carefully monitored post-release to see if there are any impacts specific particularly on protected species but the overwhelming evidence is that there will be very little uh, impact on um, on most or any of these species because they're generally not using the same kinds of habitats. Um, I mean, f for instance, a species like Capicaeli, um, there's been, you know, some uh, concern about whether wildcats would impact Capicaeli and there's no evidence from anywhere in continental Europe um, of Capicaeli ever being predated by wildcats. They just don't share the same habitat and they wouldn't be seen as a, as a prey species. Um, they, you know, it really is voles and mice that they're interested in. And there's a possibility, I mean, they certainly, clearly there's been conflict in the past with the game shooting industry because, you know, wildcats are predators and they were persecuted as predators, and they still are. Uh, well, they still would be in lots of sites. Um, but there's very little evidence that wildcats would have much of an impact on ground nesting birds. They're just not, that's really not their primary source of prey. And they're rarely going to be in the same habitat. Um, it's, it comes down to, again, the kind of idea that if there is enough natural prey for these animals, then they have absolutely no need to be to have any interest in any kind of secondary unpreferred prey source that's living in a habitat that they're generally not even going to be in. Um, so, and I mean, they also wildcats generally live at very low density, so they're they're solitary species. Um, and in Scotland, um, you know, their their home range size can be upwards of ten. 20 square kilometers. So they're, they're living at a very, very low density. Um, it's very unlikely anybody would ever even see uh, one of these cats once they're released, um, let alone that they would have any kind of significant impact on any uh, breeding bird population. But everything that we do will be carefully monitored so that we can answer those questions because it's important, and obviously, if you're introducing one species not to have a significant impact on another one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the project moving forward, what kind of timescales are, are, are you working to and, and what kind of scope is there for farmers and landowners to, to get involved? So at the moment, the, the, so the project's only really got off the ground in the last couple of months because of the COVID uh, delays. So in the first, so th this particular project is uh, six years, uh, six years funding, although funding's already being looked at for the future. Um, but our project is focused um, quite specifically on one area in the Cairngorms National Park. But there is the remit within the project as well that we will be looking um, nationally at supporting measures nationally to try and encourage wildcats. So we will have uh, a team member, uh, hopefully starting in the spring next year, whose remit will be to, to look at Northern Scotland as a whole so that we can help uh, develop positive uh, management for wildcats and sort of to, you know, obviously you, there's not much point just releasing wildcats into one little area and managing them there. We, we want, eventually wildcats to recover across northern Scotland. So that will be the the, the sort of remit of, uh, of the project in the next couple of years or so. Um, and then we are always going to be interested to hear from any farmers or land managers who think they have wildcats on their land. Um, you know, we, we're still always interested in sightings um, and they can report them to us uh, at Saving Wildcats. Um, at the website 
Um, we're always interested to hear about anyone who'd like there to be wildcats on their land in the future. Um, and we'll, we'll certainly, going forward, uh, plan to, to have as, a lot more engagement with the farming community to learn more about how we can work together to be able to support wildcats um, in agricultural landscapes. I always ask this to, to the speakers that come on to the podcast. Um, I always ask what is happening within your particular in, uh, industry or, or area of interest right now that you think most people should be paying attention to. Um, the problem I have with asking you this question today is your project is kind of that that thing that I think more people should should be interested <laughs> in. Um, we know that, that going forward, that there's a lot of talk of um, reintroductions to, to Scotland. Um, and rightly and wrongly, fairly and unfairly, that there's a lot of concern uh, from, from the agricultural sectors uh, about reintroductions. I, I just wanted to get your opinion on the potential reintroduction of links. Um, it might be something that we, we tackle um, in another series of this um, at a later date. Um, but is there a potential conflict there with new species being introduced into to Scotland for the wildcat? And what do you think about lynx more broadly? Yeah, I, th I mean, I think we get asked this a lot, funnily. <laughs> you always think, you know, um, I think it's just because it's a cat. <laughs> we we do always get asked about lynx. Um, I think there's a, f there's a few things that are important Um I think to think about with lynx. I mean, wildcat and lynx are very, very different species. And so I think for me, wildcats aren't yet extinct in Northern Scotland. So I think we should, we should focus on the species that are still here at the moment. Um, so my, my personal preference is that, you know, we try to see if we can reinforce, um, the population of a, of a species that's still here um, because there's already, you know, there will always be conflict with these kind of conservation projects. And this is, this is with a, a species that's, you know, this is a very elusive, very rare species that people are going to be exceptionally lucky to ever see, but we are still going to have to negotiate a lot of quite tricky conflicts uh, with land managers um, to make this project successful. So I think um, I think conversations about links, it's good to have those conversations, but I think something like links will obviously potentially be even more controversial um, than, than even something like wildcats. So I, my focus is, uh, is definitely on uh, wildcats and seeing, uh, trying to make wildcats a success for everybody. Um, and then, and I think links, you know, it's, it's, it's a discussion to have, but it's, it's certainly not my priority. And I think it can, it, those discussions can cause some issues for us because they are more controversial and we don't really want those discussions associated with wildcats because they're very different species, um, you know. So in a way, we don't want to attract any more, you know, conflict or controversy that's that's not really related to our project. Um, but you know, it'd be lovely to see links in however many, however many decades in the future. But for now, I'd be happy. I'd be happy with wildcats. I think. Kerry, we know that Scottish Government are going to place um, an increasing emphasis on the provision of public goods um, insofar as agriculture and, and land management is concerned. Can you speak a little bit to the public good of, of having wildcats being more prevalent in Scotland? Um, yeah, well, I, I think there are two things here. There is, you know... Just the, the, from the kind of ethical and moral standpoint, you know, this is a species that has been here for 10,000 years. We don't have the, the ethical or moral, uh, you know, standpoint to be able to say that this species doesn't deserve to be here. And I think it's, you know, it, it can give people so much joy 
to see these species in the wild, that we have an obligation that we should be doing everything we can uh, to protect it for future generations. Um, I mean, I used to do a lot of work going into schools and giving talks about wildcats. And prior to the start of this project, you know, I, I would ask the kids in the class to put a, a camera trap out for me and see if they could find a wildcat, knowing that they're probably not going to find a wildcat <laughs> because there were very, very few left. And now with this project, I can go to those kids and I can give them a camera trap. And once we've released some cats, they might actually have a chance of finding one. And I, I think I'd be even more excited than they would about that. That it's, you know, we, I think we have an obligation to protect these species and to, to do what we can to try and keep them in the countryside. Because 10,000 years, you know, we don't, we don't have the right to say that that animal doesn't deserve to be here. But for Scotland as well, the wildcat has always been a really important cultural symbol. You know, it was on clan crests. Um, and everything else. It's it's an important cultural species for Scotland. And I think, you know, it, it's it's important to Scottish history. So we, you know, for, for Scottish people, they need the Scottish wildcat. So it is it is in the public good to have more wildcats. And more wildcats, I mean, you're not talking about <laughs> a lot more wildcats. There's still, you know, the chances of people seeing one of them. They're so elusive. Um, it's been part of the problem in, in assessing how dire the conservation status was because it's so hard to find them um, and so hard to establish where the populations even are that they're not a species that's going to be out there multiplying by the thousands and creating problems for people. Um, you know, you could probably do this project and release them all and nobody would ever be any the wiser. Um, but, you know, it's, it's nicer for people to get excited about it and get excited about having one of their iconic species back again where they belong. No, absolutely. I, I was just thinking, as you said that, there, there is an important heritage component to, to the reintroduction of these wild cats. So, no, no I, I couldn't agree more. You mentioned at the beginning there that you're getting support from from some of the Scandinavian countries and was it Spain, Portugal? Yes, um, right. What is the international interest in, in having wildcat be more prevalent in Scotland? Um, so the the uh, the international partners that we have uh, are sort of both experts in their particular areas. So Norden's Ark um, is a non-profit foundation that's dedicated to endangered species conservation. Uh, and they've uh, led on lots of recovery projects and conservation projects. So they're, they're kind of involved for their uh, expertise uh, and advice. And the other one is Junta de Andalusia. And they uh, have led on the most successful carnivore reintroduction program in Europe, which has been the Iberian lynx reintroduction in Spain and Portugal. So they have—they are a very important partner for us and a very important model because they built these big conservation breeding centres, uh, which is exactly what we'll be doing at the Highland Wildlife Park, is building uh, the UK's first conservation breeding centre for wildcats. Um, and this is all being uh, modelled on what's been done in Spain and Portugal with Iberian lynx. So they are another sort of uh, expert advisor. Um, but we do have a, we have a, a sort of expert panel of advisors also um, from Europe um, because this is a, you know this is a European species. Uh, they are protected by uh, European legislation, um, and uh, we. We are very much interested in the conservation work that's going on with European wildcats across the continent. And I think in turn, you know, they're very interested to see what happens here because this would be um, one of the first uh, breeding and release reintroduction projects for wildcat. There have been others. There have been uh, large, uh, large scale reintroductions in Germany, for example. Um, but this, this is an important project that kind of the eyes of other European researchers will be on to see uh, to see what we do and how it goes. So we're, we're sort of uh, collaborating with them to get their expertise and advice. You touched very kind of briefly on the importance of deciduous forest for wildcat. Are you encouraged by the kind of progress that, that the woodland sector has made in Scotland in terms of planting and habitat creation 
management and, and harvesting. Um, and where would you like to see that go? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, any it, the direction that things are going is certainly positive for wild cats. Um, and we know that cats do use the the kind of forestry that that's already there, the commercial forestry plantations. And we know that that has become habitat that's important for remaining cat populations. Um, there's still a lot that we need to, to learn in terms of how uh, forest management will best benefit wildcats in the future. Um, so I think there's a big research component still um, but we are working together with uh, Forestry and Land Scotland, who are a, a partner in the project. And we will be doing a lot of research in terms of how forest management strategies can be beneficial to wildcats. And for example, um, the clear fell uh, is, is one important way. Um, and we're going to be looking at the design of clear fell operations and how that can best create prey habitat for cats. Um, but also, Things like creation of artificial den sites. Um, cats use log stacks for for breeding and as resting sites. So we can we sort of I mean in a way the habitat in Scotland the forest habitat is not like these great big natural deciduous forests in Germany for example. We just don't have that habitat and we can't really replicate it naturally. Um, so even though we have got more woodland planting and we, we we have got more of that habitat available, it's still quite early days. This isn't, they're not 300 year old beech woodlands. So, but we can improve some of these things artificially. So we can create log stacks that act as den sites for cats um, and we can manage prey populations with clear felling. So we, we are kind of actively researching how we can use the forest habitat that exists and how we can improve things for the future uh, to support more and more high density wildcat populations. That's brilliant. Um, thank you very much. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts for any of the listeners? Um, any uh, pieces of information that you can signpost? Yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's probably a few things I haven't said that I probably should. Um, mm -hmm. So one would be um, the important, so I, I talked about how important the agricultural landscape is for wildcats, um, and it certainly is, and it's it's also very important in the way that um, farms in particular can act as a really important crossover habitat for wildcats and domestic cats. And while we're at this phase of wildcat conservation where we have such low numbers of wildcats, hybridization is still, is still a very real threat to wildcats, as is disease transfer from domestic cats. So farmers can really help um, wildcat uh, conservation by neutering and vaccinating any domestic cats that they might have living around their farms. And there are a lot of, uh, there are local cat welfare charities that can help with that. Um, I actually volunteer for cats protection as well as a trap neuter return volunteer. So we will go out to these farms and trap uh, any of these feral domestic cats and have them neutered and vaccinated and returned to the farm so they can carry on uh, doing their mousing uh, responsibilities. Um, but then they present no threat to a wildcat if they're neutered and vaccinated. So that is another way that um, that farmers can help. And there is there's another specific threat to wildcats that's related to agriculture, and that is uh, agrochemicals. Um, specifically pesticides and specifically uh, rodenticides. So anticoagulant rodenticides can be a big problem for cats. And we know that wildcats have died in the past as a result of eating um, rodents that had died eating rodenticide. Um, so that's that's another, another potential threat for wildcats uh, in a farming landscape is use of rodenticides. So, um, looking at kind of best practice possible use of those kind of rodenticides in the way that they're least likely to impact um, on cat populations. That would be another really useful way that the farming community could help um, wildcat conservation. Um, but I think in terms of sort of summing up uh, messages, um, I think wildcats are like any other species. Wildcat conservation um, is like all conservation. All conservation problems are really problems with people. 
it's problems that with with humans with human attitudes and human behaviors and to make wildcat conservation a success means that we need people to to work together and to try and change some of our behaviors to benefit wildcats so that they can survive here in the long term and for people living in towns and villages across rural areas in Scotland that's really you know neutering and vaccinating your pet cat is really important to reduce the number of feral cats in the countryside because nobody wants feral cats in the countryside from welfare perspective from conservation perspective from farming perspectives land management we don't want feral cats in the countryside so people really do need to neuter and vaccinate their pet cats um, but more broadly from a, a kind of land management perspective we need to look at ways that we can work in the countryside um, but that allows us to live side by side with some of these species that really deserve to be there you know and really can give people so much joy um, from being able to see them and everybody you know I've worked with wildcats for the last five or six years now and some of the stories that people will tell you and they were always from 20 years ago because that's when we we had sort of still populations of recognizable wildcats um, but they would always tell you these stories about how these wildcats jumped out at them from hay bales and um, just how excited people would be that they used to see these cats and so they they were a species that people you know felt very privileged to caught a glimpse of and if we can get that back somehow and I think it's possible I think we've got this opportunity now we've got this funding this EU life funding and we've got this opportunity to bring this species back and to give the new generation of people the the chance to have that kind of exciting encounter with this species just to catch a glimpse of it and I think if we can do that then you know I think we can say that this project will have been a big success and that's certainly what we're all working towards. Well Carrie Langridge thank you very much for joining us on the Farm Advisory Service uh, podcast. Thank you.